welcome back to the podcast and we are going to have the second in the series of stat cases today uh, with the lovely Dr. Matt Young and Dr. Laura Tickle and me, Angela Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Hello! Hello! <laughs> So Matt, yes. Tell me about your case. So I've got yes, an interesting case. Uh, is a, a chap I saw. Well, it's before Christmas actually. Um, so almost six months ago now. I was covering Retus um, on one of our one of our days, and I was handed a blood gas from. We have a rapid assessment area where the patients come in and they have the blood ECG done, and they get seen by normally one of the consultants. And I had this blood gas, and I saw this patient's going to Retus, and he had um, a slight metabolic acidosis, and he had a. A very raised potassium. His potassium was over seven. I can't remember it precisely, but it was definitely over seven, between seven and eight. So quite quite raised. And he was going into recess because he used to have calcium gluconate and instant dextrose <coughs> and everything like that for the, the standard um, hyperkalemia management. And most of the, most of the time, when you see patients like that, they often hyperkalemia is due to lots of different causes, but the most common being acute kidney injury. So they're often a little bit sort of septic or a little bit dry, or often elderly on medications, etc. All those those risk factors that come to our our minds when we're thinking about acute kidney injury. He didn't really have any of those. So he was he was a little bit old, but he wasn't he was only seventy he wasn't, you know, in his eighties or nineties. He wasn't on any med- any medication. He was normally fit and well. And he had a slightly odd story of three days of this like, vague sort of tummy pain. It was sort of central epigastric type pain. It was all very odd. It didn't sound like anything in particular. Didn't do much, was sort of a bit intermittent and then a bit constant and then a bit of this and that. Again, it's a very odd presentation. He was vomiting, but not a lot of vomiting. He was vomiting sort of three or four times a day, not sort of excessive. He wasn't in too much pain either. He was relatively comfortable. And the only only other thing to note on his blood gas, his lactate was a little bit raised, about three, and his calcium was was slightly raised. It was a little bit odd, a little little bit strange. So so from the history, I had a vague differential of actually is he in bowel obstruction. And one of the concerns... I'm taking a slightly more detailed history after I didn't understand what was going on. When you go back and you speak to the patient again, he'd um, lost a bit of weight over the past couple of months, and he looked quite cachectic and quite and quite frail. And I sort of, you know, had that always sort of thing: is there an underlying malignancy or something when you see patients like that? And so I, I came up with a differential of, of bowel obstructions. I wonder if actually he's got a bowel tumor and he's obstructed, and that's why he's vomiting. And he had opened his bowels the day before, and so it wasn't clinically obstructed. He did have bowel sounds, I remember. Um, and I sort of I fumbled about and got him in a right chest x-ray which was normal and I thought I didn't know what was going on so gave him fluids a bit of antibiotics pain relief etc and spoke to the surgeon so I don't really know what's going on because you can't see him they kindly obliged and then the next thing I know he, we got a phone call from the biochemistry lab saying he's got abnormal results kind of everywhere really would you mind looking at them and he has an amylase which is over 5,000 it's very raised he had a, a calcium of 3.5 and he had a massive AKI so he had a creatinine of about 800 and it was significant for several reasons. Firstly, we catheterized him as part of our sort of sepsis six treatment. And there wasn't a lot of urine coming out of his catheter. And again, his past history, he was noted on a CT several years ago to only have one kidney, which he didn't know about at the time. So he's only got one functioning kidney normally, which based on his blood tests is not functioning. Based on his urine output is not functioning. Massively raised calcium, massively raised amylase. And I said, oh, oh, so especially intensive care guys. And he eventually went up there for a bit of hemofiltration and just sort of definitive care basically and he's one of those patients that sort of followed up and he turned out to have an underlying lung cancer that had caused him to become hypercalcemic which was which had caused him to have pancreatitis which had caused him to put himself to bed which had caused an AKI 
which had caused the hyperkalemia. And I thought it was a really interesting sequence of events. It's something I often ramble on about to the students is there's, there's often only one pathology really going on in most patients. That it's very rare to get two distinct pathologies. There's often only one thing driving the whole process. And with that guy, I just couldn't work out what was going on. And so I was sort of treating him symptomatically. So he was slightly, slightly sort of borderline pyrexia, tachycardic, slightly hypotensis. We were treating him for sepsis, presumed him to abdominal sepsis. But actually, he had, he was, he had pancreatitis. And he needed lots of fluids to treat his hypercalcemia to prevent that sort of further pancreatitis. He obviously needed treatment of his hyperkalemia. I thought it was just interesting that sequence of events and it just, it just brought it home to me. It's something that you need to be aware of that we need to treat the underlying cause of, of most of our patients. Don't take the first presentation at face value. Yeah, yeah. Dig a bit deeper. So did he have a history of breathlessness or... You know, was it just particularly weight loss? Oh, I didn't ask him. Why not? Because <laughs> ED, I don't, you know, I don't think... Seemed irrelevant at the time. Yeah, exactly. I don't, you know, he had, he had some clear stuff I could treat and I could send him somewhere in a clear disposition, which was he needs to come into hospital and be treated by somebody else. I didn't go, I didn't go full detail. Um, I thought from memory now, I don't remember asking those things at all. You didn't know until he got to ITU that he had... The lung oh yeah, no, I didn't know. Did. Yeah, so it wasn't a question. So he had a, he had a normal looking chest X-ray, and then somebody cleverer than me. I know, I know it's rare. Somebody cleverer than me. Um, he <laughs> 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 uh, you know, ended up having a CT thorax abdo pelvis, like the next day, or maybe that the same day, um, looking for a a cause of throat pancreatitis, but also to rule out malignancy based on how he presented, um, and that showed that pick up the, picked up the lung cancer. But no, I didn't ask him. It didn't seem relevant at the time, and I think that's, that's again that's one of the learning points is that it, you know it, it, it's having that again having a nice broad net. And I didn't consider. You know, I, I thought he might have had a malignancy, but I sort of in many ways I anchored on the fact that because he's got abdominal symptoms, he's got pain, he's got yeah. vomiting. This must be a you know about you. And ultimately, from from my perspective, it doesn't matter where the tumor is. The, the matter is that he's got a tumor that yeah. is causing these symptoms. But yeah, yeah actually, you know, asking about shortness of breath and. You know, night sweats and all that sort of stuff might have been helpful for his ongoing care. That was a point that we touched on in simulation this morning. Yeah. Though, is sort of accepting when you are the first person seeing a patient and mm. reviewing them, accepting that you aren't necessarily going to get to the bottom of this trail of events. Yeah. And particularly when you're doing an A to B, you are treating reactively as you go along. So it's a really interesting case, but for the students when you're doing an A to B, you you're not expected to get to the bottom of that no. within one assessment. Yeah. So it's an unusual presentation of pancreatitis. Yes. With an MLA is that high, yes. you would have expected him to be more symptomatic. I, I would, yeah, I would expect him to say, it hurts at the top of my tummy and radiates through to my back. Yeah. And he didn't. And the pain would be more extreme than he was presenting with. Yeah. 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 He, he wasn't, he was uncomfortable, but he wasn't, you know, like if, if I'd seen him without any blood results... I wasn't. I wasn't particularly excited about it. There was nothing really about his the history of this pain or the vomiting or his abdominal yeah. findings that alerted me to yeah. actual clinical concern. I suppose that's why we do blood tests. You know, examination has a sensitivity and a specificity as as, as all blood tests do, as all investigations do, and that's why we investigate further. It also back to the pancreatitis. It wasn't one of those top two causes that we think about in in pancreatitis, which is gallstones and alcohol yeah. use. It was quite an unusual cause. And scorpion bites, obviously. And scorpion bites. A medical student classic. Yes. Yeah. It was quite an unusual cause, yeah. pancreatitis. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, it's not 
hypercalcemia is one that's not at the forefront. I think, I think the, the, the third is idiopathic, but we never find out anyway. Yeah. Um, and ERCP. So, yeah, again, it's that absence of, of a clear clinical diagnosis that, that prompts you to investigate further. So, looking back on it, is there anything you think you would have done differently? Probably not, to be honest. Okay. As, you know, as with all, all sort of recess patients, did an A2E, treating as he going along. His A2E was pretty standard, to be fair. He wasn't particularly unwell. Certainly from a physiological point of view, he had a slight circulatory issue and that he was mildly hypotensive and tachycardic, but had some fluid and antibiotics, which, which stabilised that aspect. We treated his hyperkalemia, partly with anything else, like calcium gluconate, insulin dextrose. Although interesting, actually, the insulin dextrose, we didn't start based on the, the VBG. I often don't, although there's lots of good data coming out. Uh, we can, I can put a link to the show notes in of, of certain studies which, which show that the sodium, potassium and the creatinine on a, on a blood gas are the same or, or equivalent to the, to the lab yeah, scenarios. Yeah. But in, in practice, we often don't treat with insulin dextrose until we have the lab-confirmed gas because there are potential complications, you know, hypos mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff with the, yeah. with the insulin dextrose treatment. Antiemetics, pain relief. We've got an erect chest X-ray, and it was after that initial A2E, we sort of, you come away and you've got that information, and you've got you know the snippets of history. And you sort of go like, what's going on? What are my, what are my top differentials? And it's sort of like I didn't really know. As I said, so at the time, I thought maybe some sort of weird obstruction or some underlying thing. I think as as Andrew probably pointed out, I probably could have explored the potential malignancy thing a little bit more because I, I noticed the weight loss, but that was really I didn't really ask about other you know, constitutional symptoms and night sweats and, and things like that. Having the blood test, once we got that, that did change our, our thinking drastically and we really appreciated that he needed a lot more fluid than we thought he did because we gave fluid to stabilise his blood pressure. So he didn't have a lot yet, 500 mils to a litre or so. It's part of our, my initial sort of A2E treatment and actually once we saw the hypoglycemia, he needed a lot more fluid. We gave him two or three litres in the end and we had obviously the poor urine output went on the filter for a little bit. Um, so it, it, to come back to the question, would it... Would I do anything differently? Probably not, but I might take that sort of second history when you go back after initially stabilising and I'd probably make that a bit more thorough. So I imagine that working in ED, it's different, whereas the fact that you're dealing with the acute presentation and not there to diagnose the patient and be involved in their long-term management. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. Um, We're blood instruments, as you you say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, you're right, we're there to deal with, with, with the problem. We, we do sort of diagnose what's going on, but we're not there a lot of the time for definitive care. We are not definitive care for the majority of patients that we see. Um, and our job is to stabilise, work out what's going on and refer appropriately, whether that's discharging referring appropriately, whether that's admitting and referring appropriately. Okay, so to summarise... Thank you, Matt. That was a really oh, that was a really interesting <laughs> case, um, which demonstrates the complexity of the chain of events in a lot of pathophysiologies, mm. um, and how your and how your initial A to E won't necessarily unfurl that completely, mm. and how it's important when taking history to keep an open mind about what the diagnosis may end up being. I think I think for me one of the the key sort of take home messages is not to anchor too heavily on anything because I sort of once I've done my initial A2E sort of focused a bit too much on this chap probably has an underlying bowel cancer and that's caused an obstruction and actually obviously the you know the diagnosis turned out to be peritonitis and all that sort of stuff and I think that's probably the, my key learning point from that is, is don't anchor too heavily yeah. keep a broad in mind as you say avoid tunnel vision avoid tunnel vision 
thanks very much for listening. Um, as ever, if you've got any interesting cases or anything you want you know, to discuss with us or for us to discuss, then come in contact with himself or Joe or do a tweet at us. Twitter at us. So remember, next time you see a case of pancreatitis, don't forget to get smashed. Bye.